This is the Entrepreneurial CPA Podcast, teaching millennials how to think outside the box to become entrepreneurial leaders by reconceptualizing the industry therein. Brought to you by C3 Evolution Group with your host, Christopher Sakelli. Welcome to the Entrepreneurial CPA Podcast, where we sit down with some of the top emerging leaders in the public accounting landscape in hopes to learn some of their keys to success. We hope everyone listening can learn a few things that can be applied to their everyday work life to better improve themselves personally and professionally. Today, we are happy to have Michelle Stabels, owner of Towner Taxes, a firm that focuses on tax and small business support for individuals and small business owners. Additionally, Michelle is a full-time tax and accounting professor at SUNY Geneseo. Not to mention, she's also highly involved in committees and organizations. We'd like to thank Michelle for joining us today. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So how do you balance all of this doing uh, full-time teaching at Geneseo? You own your own accounting firm. You're highly involved. Where do you get this time to balance work between two full-time jobs and your personal <laughs> life? It's, I'm sure you have a lot on your plate, obviously. Um, how do you I balance do. all that? I do. I'm very fortunate uh, in many ways. One is that my full-time job at SUNY Geneseo is structured where I only have to be on campus at Geneseo two days a week, maybe three occasionally. So that is very flexible. And then the rest of the time when I'm planning and grading, I can do it from my home office, from anywhere. So that's, that's huge. And then obviously my mm -hmm. tax business is, is up to me. So just this past year, I've, I've learned how to say no. <laughs> I actually started turning away some clients and realizing that my time was becoming so valuable that I, I was running out of it. And uh, learning mm -hmm. to say no was hard for me, but something that I, I had to do. And recently, I've uh, gone through my client list and kind of started ranking some from my really great clients and some of my really complicated clients that you know I struggle to collect from, and I've actually called a few clients in the past couple of weeks and uh, asked them to find another preparer. So it's been a, a learning process because a couple of years ago I didn't say no to anything, and I found myself in a you know a situation where I didn't have enough time in the day, which I think a lot of a lot of my colleagues are also finding themselves in. So I had to change my my story a little bit and start saying no. But at least I can still pick and choose, and I'm, I can run my own course, which is really nice. I am very fortunate. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, I kind of liked what you talked about. Uh, I don't really want to call it trimming the fat necessarily with, uh, <laughs> with a client risk, but sometimes that, that is beneficial. So I know, there, like you said, there's good clients, bad clients, and some clients you may not get the realization from. You're spending more mm -hmm. time for less money. Uh, what's your view on that for accounting firms to do? Because I, a lot of times, it's, you know, we'll, we'll take any client, and you mm -hmm. know, we we want your business, we want the money, but um, you, maybe it's you better off with a better realization. What what's your view on that? Yeah, so before I went out on my own, um, I worked at a lot of CPA firms in Rochester. So I, I've been in public accounting for about 11 years now. And uh, 10 of those years were various public accounting firms. And I've actually seen this trend become more increasingly popular where the firms are, are focusing on a niche or specific clients and turning others away. And it's, it's an awesome sign of our industry. The tax world is so complicated. Everyone would agree with that. And it's just getting more and more complicated that 
that anyone in this industry has that luxury where they can turn clients away. So it may have it used to be where you just took on all the work and for a couple of reasons now. Um, one is that experienced tax professionals are becoming increasingly hard to find and hire and keep. Firms are, I, I see at least firms are, are starting to, like you said, trim the fat or focus on a niche and, and turn other clients away. And I've worked for a couple CPA firms that have started initiating minimums. And you know whether it's $400 or $500 clients, they've kind of set this limit where they're like, we're not going to take on any individual tax clients unless we can bill them this minimum and kind of setting a bar there. So it, it is actually becoming increasingly popular. And, and I kind of took uh, you know, some advice from some of my colleagues and some from podcasts that I've listened to and some other practitioners that said, do this every year. Rank your clients, you know, the five or ten worst clients. Call them up. Let them go because you're definitely going to refill those with other clients next year. So it's not a risk of your business going down the drain. It's just keeping your business as efficient and as profitable as you can with your limited time. Yeah, I totally agree. There's, you know, there's been clients that I've worked on where you're just spending hours and hours cleaning up, you know, mm -hmm. stuff that, you know, it's not necessarily, uh, or it's pretty much their fault. Um, <laughs> but yep. it's, uh, it can be frustrating at times, and I think, uh, I think being able to go through and kind of ranking your clients is a good way to get an idea of, you know, who are your, who are your best clients, how, what's the ratio between what you think are good and bad clients and what you have. And, uh, you know, I think it's a, a smart business strategy for partners or business owners. And I'd definitely like to see that, uh, that, you, that you're implementing that in your business. So I want to take a quick step back. Uh, we touched briefly on kind of the work-life balance. Um, a lot of young accountants coming out of college, I think uh, tax season is a little intimidating to them. They, they mm -hmm. can't imagine, you know, working 60 hours or, or more. Um, what tips do you have to them and how to balance that? Because it can be overwhelming the first couple years. And once you kind of get in a rhythm, you, you get used to it. But uh, do you have some tips for any, any young accountants who may be intimidated by tax season or concerned that uh, you know, they might not be able to maintain high efficiency throughout the whole tax season? It is hard. It is very hard. It's tiring. It's yeah, it's something that you get used to. And, and I've been through, I don't know, 12, 13 tax seasons now. And mm -hmm. I, I mm -hmm. get I can say I get used to it, but it's something you never really get used to. But yeah. what keeps me going is knowing that there's an end in sight. I mean, there's some other professions that my friends have gone into where they're busy all year round, and they're working 60-plus hours a week all year round. And, and I, mm -hmm. I don't envy them at all. I, I know that tax season has an end in sight. I have, you know, I've done countdowns before. Sometimes I've had countdowns on my website, like something to look forward to at the end. And sometimes I've put a vacation at the end of tax season so I really have something to look forward to. And the, the seasonality of tax season I think is awesome. At least in upstate mm -hmm. New York, you know, I'm really busy for February, March, and most of April, and usually that's crappy weather. It's after the holidays, you know, so I, I, I'm okay with not seeing my friends and family for a few months. It's dark at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's, it's kind of, you know, I'm okay with it. I've, I've come to terms with it. If I'm going to be busy for two or three months of the year, those are the best two or three months of the year to be busy because it flies by. Yeah, 
you come out halfway through April and the sun is shining and the, the you know, flowers are blooming. So having, I think, something to look forward to at the end, whether it's just the nice weather or a vacation or time on, your, on the calendar of whoever you're working for where you are not going to come in for a week or more than that is, is enough motivation to, to really help push through because it gets exhausting, especially when April 1st hits and, and you think you're done, but you still have two or three weeks left and <laughs> it's very tiring for sure. Yeah, ha- having that light at the end of the tunnel definitely gives you something to strive for. And Absolutely. having those busy days, they do fly by. So, um, you know, you, you find yourself only looking at the clock once or twice and it does go by <laughs> quickly, but, uh, you know, I think at the end of it, you're like, wow, where'd the time go? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, you just got to stick with it and, uh, you know, just grit your teeth and, and get down to work and it'll all be worth it when it's over in the summer. And I know a lot of firms offer like half day Fridays or, yes. or yep, you know, shorter work so days. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, you know, you pay your dues during the winter but it it kind of evens itself out, you know, over over the rest of the, the year. Right, especially when the the weather's better and you want to, you know, be out for yeah. noon on Friday. So it's it's it sounds awful and it's really not and then a lot of the CPA firms are are being trying to be really competitive with getting the right employees, so they are offering summer flex hours or summer half days, and and that's I think huge, and it really helps motivate people during tax season. Yeah, exactly. So I got a question about you know you own your own firm, uh, in, but before you started your own firm, you were pretty successful in, in what you were doing. You're moving up the the rank on the mm-hmm. the normal partner uh, partner CPA track, and uh, and you went off to start your own firm. And I'm curious, what made you want to do that? There's a bunch of things uh, made me want to do it. I, I'm I've been a leader in everything you know I've ever done from high school to college to working at CPA firms, and so I've always had discussions with partners of partner track. Like at my first job out of out of college, you know, I had some some nice lunches with partners saying, oh, you know, in 10 years or whatever, you're on partner track, you're partner track. And then I would look at what the partners do. And a lot of the partners don't do the work necessarily. I mean, they're very smart. They've paid their dues, but they're out. They're the rainmakers. You know, they're meeting the clients. They're the they, they, they do administrative stuff, they do billing, and I kind of looked at the roles of what the partners actually do on a day-to-day basis, and, and I didn't, it didn't look like something I wanted to do. I was like, I, I want to actually be doing the work. I want to know all the ins and outs of my clients and be able to answer questions off the top of my head instead of going to find the staff person who actually prepared the return. So I was always a little hesitant on this, this partner track, like, do I really want that? And the, the more I rose through the ranks, I finally got to manager level in the tax department and I was doing these huge, really complicated corporate consolidated tax returns where I only had a handful of clients. So one client in particular was taking up pretty much half of my billable time for the entire year and I was like a data entry person. I was just sitting at my cubicle and I, I, you know, communicate with this one client, but it wasn't the success or the satisfaction that I liked when I was doing a handful of individual clients in a single day. So honestly, it met my personality more or fit my personality more to go out on my own, get individual small, small business clients who are, I can add value and I can talk to them and have multiple 
clients come through my office in a single day and I just have this, you know, feeling of success. I can get things done. I can check things off. And it's, mm-hmm. they're a lot easier and less complicated. And some partners, a few partners have told me I would get bored with it and I would look for more challenges. But so far I haven't. I really feel good about the work I can provide for these clients, the, the, the help I can give them. I can add value. I feel like when I'm billing them, I've saved them more than what I've already billed them, so everyone wins. And for me, it was you know a combination of a couple things, but it made more sense for me to go out on my own, be my own boss. I'm not an administrative role. I am, obviously, but I'm also doing the work, and I'm, I'm yeah. face-to-face with the clients, and I have these relationships that I, I love. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely doing it all, and uh, you know, it's kind of great to hear that. That's a great mentality to have because – I think when a lot of people start in public accounting, they, they think, you know, hey, this is my life now. Um, you know, I'll try to work my way up the ranks and hopefully become partner one day. But right. obviously that's, you know, that's not a fit for everybody. There's so many different personalities and styles of, uh, of you know, of work effectiveness. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily the best fit for everybody. So you know, what would you have to say to someone who is maybe in your shoes, they're thinking, well, you know, maybe I don't want to do, you know, I don't want to follow this, the partner track, the traditional, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to, we'll say like, you know, a lot of people say, you know, I don't want to die at my desk to be a partner for, <laughs> forever. What, if, right. what do you have to say to, what do you have to say to them who may be interested in something else, but they don't necessarily know what that something else is? Uh, it's, I would say do your dues, like pay your dues. Like I, I feel like the experience that I got at CPA firms for, for 10 years was so important that it gave me the confidence and the experience that then I could go out and do whatever I wanted. So I, I think it is important. You can't, you know, leave too soon and, and start, you know, jump off that cliff before you have experience. But don't be afraid of it, especially in the tax world. That's really all I can speak of. But in the tax world, going out on your own is not as scary right now because of the really mm-hmm. complicated environment that we live in. So it's like I have more clients coming to me than I can handle, and I could grow my business if I wanted to. So it's a really awesome industry to be in, but it's seasonal. So I am so fortunate to have my Geneseo job with the Geneseo benefits that is all year round because Mm -hmm. the first couple years when I did go out on my own with a tax practice, it was great for four or five months while I was billing clients, and then I didn't have something else. So I worked really slow at my transition out of public accounting into my own practice. I started teaching as an adjunct on the side. So, I mean, it's, it was great to take that leap, but you've got to have a, a, a plan B or, or a summer gig, I think, also. So I know that doesn't answer your question, but ah, well, a lot no, of moving parts there. It's nice to see, you know, you you figured it out and you landed on your feet. Um, but I think what you said is just, you just kind of kind of take a, a leap of faith. If mm-hmm. it's something that you maybe aren't truly passionate about, you just got to kind of test the waters and some other things. Like you said, you started adjuncting or uh, being an adjunct teacher. Mm-hmm. And yep. who knows, I mean, maybe you, you, you could have not liked it. You could have, uh, you know, obviously you fell in love with it, which is great. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, just trying different things and you'll find where, where you fit in. Um, but... You know, life's too short to be kind of complacent. Uh, you know, just staying on. You know, the this is what you should be doing. You know, kind of kind of thing. Absolutely, and success is defined by every person individually. 
So if you think success is becoming a partner, that's great. But if you think success is having your summers off, like I kind of had this summer, you know, that's great too. So I really think that's important to not have the mentality of keeping up with the Joneses or this kind of stereotype that you maybe have put yourself into, like I need to be a partner in order to be successful because it's not true. And you just got to throw that out the window and figure out what is success to me what will make me feel successful and make me right. feel like at the end of my life I've accomplished everything that I wanted to and then kind of fit the pieces in because working, you know, at a CPA firm and becoming a partner would fit somebody's definition but definitely not everybody's. Yeah, yeah. And that, I, don't, I don't mean to sign – we're not, uh, you know, bashing it, of course. It's, you know, a lot of – if it's a great fit for a lot mm-hmm. of people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a great achievement in, in your career and – um, you know, I, it's definitely something that not everyone's able to do. So, um, but you kind of you touched on a good point. Uh, success having different meaning to different people. I'm curious, how do you define success? And will there ever be a point in your career where you kind of feel like you're content, or are you always striving to, you know, achieve new goals? Obviously, like you said, you're. You know, where do you see potentially your your business? I know I just kind of threw a lot of things at you there, but uh, you know, just go ahead and kind of touch on some of those points. I so there's a bunch of things on my play right now. I, I am expecting my first child, so I know that everything is going to change in about four months, and I, <laughs> I I know that I won't ever be prepared for that. So I've kind of switched gears completely to. Um, to plan for a family. And I am very fortunate that my business and my teaching job are very flexible that have allowed me to do that. So I consider myself successful because I am not stressed about having a family and the financial and time constraints that that will add because I've kind of put all these things in motion, you know, a few years ago, like I wanted to be able to work from home and have a home office and a flexible schedule. So I pinch myself at how things are working out and I consider it success by my terms. But I also know that my personality, this isn't going to keep me going forever. So in my head, I kind of have like a five-year plan. Like when my kid or future kids are of school age, then I do plan on expanding my own practice and moving out of the house because I feel like that would be an appropriate time to get my office out of my house and actually hiring interns and employees and expanding uh, you know, in the extra time that I might have once my kids are actually in school and I'm not watching them at home. So I have a couple different plans and, and different stages in my life, but um, for me, success is getting to where I have so far and I feel completely successful in my, in my career so far to get here where I can successfully or uh, comfortably plan for my future and my family. That's great. Yeah, and it's it's kind of nice to hear that you know, your defin- de- definition of success goes beyond just in the office. You know, it's it's kind of, it's that work-life balance. It's success, you know, being 50%, you know, on the, on the personal side, 50% business. Mm-hmm. And when that's able to mesh, it's, uh, it's like poetry in motion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you, how long have you been at Geneseo now teaching? So Geneseo, I'm going into my fourth full year, and I did a, a three semesters as an adjunct. So I'm relatively new at teaching because there is a learning curve with teaching that is just as big as the learning curve in the tax and auditing world. It is, it is a, you know, a big hurdle to get over and feel comfortable sitting in front of those sure. students and, yeah. <laughs> and making lesson plans. And, and when you're a teacher, at least at our college level, you, you didn't go through, I don't have it, an education degree. 
you know, like my high school mm -hmm. teachers all had an education degree and they had did student teaching and then the college level, they kind of throw you in. <laughs> it's it's uh, Yeah, no, it's just, there's definitely a learning curve there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure you're doing just fine. I'm kind of curious. So you're kind of on the ground floor of the, the young minds of, of tomorrow. And I'm curious, what commonalities do you see in some of the, the accounting students um, at, at a young age. So maybe what do you see as some characteristics of some people you think are, are going to be successful going forward in the careers? So as soon as I see, as soon as you see, I think I'm very fortunate for, for that being my first and only teaching job so far is that they are so motivated. It's become a culture at Geneseo to start taking the CPA test as soon as you are eligible. So you can start taking, sitting for the test when you hit 120 hours and have four of the core classes under your belt. And so many of our students have started taking the CPA test by the time they finish with an undergraduate degree. And most of the students in our master's program have finished the CPA test before they graduate with a master's degree. So I'm just amazed at the, the, this culture and this motivation that these students have. So when they enter the workforce, they already have all parts of the CPA test under their belts. And it just, I think that that's going to show so much to a potential employer of how motivated they are and they're not going to wait, sit back and, and wait for someone to tell them that they have to start taking the test. Like they are go-getters and, and that's huge. And I'm, I'm still surprised that I've been in Genesee for you know, over four years now and it still surprises me. That motivated. Yeah, no, it's it, it's pretty incredible. I think the you know that kind of started to shift uh, when I was in school, uh, not too long ago. But um, you know they were encouraging us to take it while we were still in school, and uh, it's a really great advantage because once you start working full time and you start doing uh, tax season, it's more difficult to find the time. I mean, it you wouldn't think, but you're you're way more available to study and take the test when when you are in college. And I think it's great that. You know that the teachers are pushing the students to do that, and that the students are willing to put in the additional time on top of school, and uh, it's definitely going to pay off going forward for them. Absolutely, it's in part from, and, and it's so hard because they're competing against every other school in the area or in the state for the same job. So anything that can set them apart and put them a little bit ahead, you know, so their resume gets to the top of the pile is is going to be great for them. Yeah, exactly. So. Kind of on the flip side, of course, passing the CPA is, is a challenging thing to do, but um, what other challenges do you see ahead of some young accountants or CPAs um, going into the industry? And what advice would you have for them? Um, what, maybe what, if, once they get their first job, what would you say to them that you know, they can maybe overcome particular challenges or hurdles? Something that maybe you picked up when you came out of college. Hmm. That's a, a very good question. So I know that when I first started my career at a CPA firm, there were seven of us that started that same exact day. So it was really easy to mm -hmm. kind of compare who was moving up the ranks, who wasn't. And I feel like the ones that, that have the more successful of us uh, were the ones that we were self-starters. And we, we, had, we figured out early on how long to spin your wheels on something and how fast to answer questions. Because there's a very fine line with try to figure it out yourself, but don't take too long because you don't want to spend too much time trying to build a client for something you might not be able to build them for. But you don't want to ask questions right away because that shows that you're not even going to 
put any effort into figuring it out yourself. And I saw some of my colleagues struggle with that. They would either ask questions too soon and they would just be, you know, bugging their seniors or, or not even trying to give any effort or figuring the answer out themselves. And then on the other side, some people were so independent that they were like determined to figure it out their own and they just wasted, or not wasted, but spent too much time where they could have asked somebody. So it's just, I don't think it's something you can teach. It's something that might be learned on the job or maybe an inherent quality, but Finding that balance is so huge to an employer, and it really stands out when you have a good billable time, but you are self-motivated and can figure things out, or at least attempt to figure things out yourself. So I see that in the yeah. college level, too, where people are on all different ends of the spectrum, and the ones that are super successful are the ones that have found this balance or figured out this balance. Yeah, I think that's great advice to to the young accountants. and. It's really a great reminder to people who have been in the in the industry for several years that it's a really good thing to be you know to kind of keep in the back of your mind um, whenever you're in the office is just to kind of exude that motivation and excitement and people can see that it it goes beyond just your technical ability mm-hmm, um, you know, absolutely. You can, the employers can always teach you how to how to you know do a tax return, but just having that you know those Intangibles, I think, is what sets good employees from, uh, you know, from those, you know, not as not as strong uh, workers. Mm-hmm. Right, and and with that, I just want to add a, another thing that I thought helped me out in my career is when I worked at CPA firm, I started out at a mid-sized firm, and it was perfect for me because it allowed me to get my hands involved in so many different areas. I started an audit during after audits kind of calmed down right before the end of tax season. I always helped out in tax. Then some outsourcing work related to Sarbanes-Oxley came up, and I volunteered for that. And I got to see so many different areas of the CPA firm, and I've always had a kind of an entrepreneurial mindset anyway. So I'm always thinking of the business or the, the firm mentality when I prepare something or when I do something or when I do a project. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that really helps when you're always thinking of the firm, you're keeping them in the back of your mind. You're not thinking of this one particular job. You're like, how can I promote the firm? How can I maybe offer another service to the client? Or how can I you know, expand on the services we're already providing? And having your hands involved in many different areas makes that a little easier. And it just makes you that much more valuable to the employer and to the firm itself. Absolutely. You, you talked about kind of having like a entrepreneurial mindset and obviously owning your own business uh, you can take all those great ideas that you have and you can apply them immediately and have them take effect but for someone who may be at um, you know maybe a mid-size a small or even a bigger firm um, or like a regional firm they may have a, an entrepreneurial entrepreneurial mindset as well they may come up with a lot of good ideas maybe you know they have a, a new technology or or something mm-hmm. to improve the, the business process. But I think this is a, a complaint from a lot of people is, uh, you know, they may have the idea, but no one really ends up listening to it or <laughs> no one really gives it a fair chance. How would you, what would you say to someone who may say, hey, I have all these great ideas, but my employer really isn't taking the time of day to, to listen to them or, you know, give them a chance? I don't know. I haven't actually experienced that because the the CPA firms that I've been at have all been on the – they've had in their goals to become 
more technology efficient and they're open to ideas. So I think I've apparently been very fortunate in that. And any time you know a firm wants to approach something, they've usually asked me myself or to put together a committee, and I volunteered for that committee, being like, yes, I I will volunteer to research and to look into all these paperless softwares or these scanners that are going to populate tax return themselves. And I kind of you know, offered my services for tons of projects like that. And I think that the, they've been well received by the CPA firm. So I haven't actually worked at a firm that's pushed back at all. I think it might take a little bit of uh, the, the approach might be important because you never want to walk into a CPA firm and start telling them they're doing things wrong. Like I've seen people do that like, oh, at my last firm we used to do this and at my last firm. Like that's not going to be the right approach. But you know, if you sit right. back for a little while and figure out how your new firm works, then you can kind of offer these little suggestions being like, hey, I think it would be more efficient and it would save the firm money if we do this and this and this. And I've actually put a few of those studies together, which is really hard to do, like trying to estimate like if we buy this software, it will save us 10 minutes per return and trying to translate it into a monetary figure because accountants like monetary figures. And I've taken that back to the partners and I've said, I, I believe that it might cost us you know, a few thousand dollars to purchase the software, but I think it will save us four times that down the road over time. So that kind of I think helps too. If you can put a value to things, then it's not an arbitrary amount and, and then CPA firms will they like to save money. So partners that are probably more willing to listen. Yeah, I think that's a good angle to take at it. And kind of like you said, it's you know, you've got to kind of present it in a, you know, maybe here's the problem, here's a good solution mm -hmm. and yeah, here's the benefit. I think those are three key pieces. But yeah. a lot of times sometimes I'll just hear like you know, there's a couple of us who don't like this process, and then it's kind of just left at that. And you know, of course, things aren't going to get cha aren't going to change if you don't present the solution and, and the benefit. Absolutely, if you're just complaining, it. it's going to be taken right. way different than if you offer a solution for sure. Exactly, exactly. So, just changing gears a little bit. Um, obviously, you've had many successes at a young age, and you, you've accomplished a lot already in your career. I'm kind of curious what motivates you to to achieve these goals. What kind of mindset do you have to have, or uh, that you know maybe what kind of mindset would you say someone else should have to have if they want to accomplish these things that you have accomplished at a, at a young age? That's very, that's another interesting one, and I'm torn on this because I'm not sure if it's uh, an inherent personality trait or something that somebody can achieve for. And I almost wish I had reviewed this. Uh, personality profiling that the first CPA firm I worked at made all of us do. So it was the DISC profiling. I don't know if you've heard of that. But I remember everyone, every staff person went through this and it kind of categorized you into four different quadrants, you know, one quadrant of four different quadrants. And it was like a fortune teller, but like it was like, duh, of course I'm going to be in this quadrant. So it might be an inherent personality trait where, you know, something gets me out of bed in the morning that makes me want to accomplish all my goals. And, and I don't, think that it's something that everyone has and it, you definitely can't have it because I, I've worked with coworkers who I think are very similar personalities to me where we're, we're very driven and I can see how we're very similar and we don't work well together probably because we're too similar. So you know, it's not something that I think uh, everyone could or would want to strive for because everyone's different and if you don't have that personality and you don't want the recognition and you don't want the publicity and you know you don't want to go on the news and then don't do it like there's 
like we said earlier, there's different ways of defining success. So you've got to figure out what you're comfortable with and go with that. And don't try to be someone you're not because it's probably not going to work out really well and it's just going to make you miserable in the process. Yeah, just kind of, you know, like you said, just kind of being, being yourself and following the, the kind of things that make you happiest. I think that's probably going to end up being the best route for most people. And don't try to live someone else's dream. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of follow what you want to do. Exactly. So I know you're involved in a lot of organizations, and um, you know I'm just kind of curious, what benefits does that provide to you? Um, you know, maybe some people are presented with opportunities to become a treasurer, or just to simply be involved, go to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see as the benefit for uh, to someone um, who's interested in doing that? Uh, there's a ton of benefits, and, and one of the huge benefits that I'm seeing right now that I'm involved in the New York State Society of CPAs is just having all these colleagues at my at my disposal almost for questions. Because when I went out on my own and started working on my home office, one of the things I missed incredibly is being able to walk down the hall and ask a colleague their opinion on a tax situation. And I still can call up, you know, my old colleagues at different CPA firms, but having more people in your back pocket just gives you more opportunity to ask questions. And so when you go out on your own like I did, it was scary to not be able to walk down the hall and say, hey, how would you treat this situation? Because as many people know, the tax code is not black or white. It's, it's, it's completely mm-hmm. gray. Uh, so by being involved in at least in the New York State Society of CPAs, I've built some amazing relationships with a lot of other tax practitioners who I feel very comfortable shooting off an email or sending them a, a, a quick message or calling them up even during tax season when I know that their time is super valuable because they'll do it to me as well. And I'll say, what would you do in this situation or have you come across this situation? And, and I just did it last week with a client where I had no idea which way I wanted to go and, and interpret the tax code and I, I sent off some, some messages to some colleagues. So I feel very fortunate that I've had the opportunity to build those relationships and if I hadn't been in the New York State Society or some of the CPA firms I've, I've worked at in the past, then I'm not sure how you build those relationships. You know, it's, it's networking, but you've got to put yourself out there and make yourself available to, to meet people. And networking and building those relationships doesn't happen instantly. It's something that you have to work at over time and get to know people. And, and, and I think that that's really important in any profession. But at least for me, at least going on my own, it's become been super valuable. Yeah, it was, uh, it's funny you brought that up because I was thinking, you said you, kind of, you left your firm, you started your own, uh, your own accounting firm. I thought, well, you know, what if she had a question about something and wasn't <laughs> sure about it? You know, what, how is she going to find, you know, find the answer? So that's, uh, it's, it's great that you have kind of that web of people that mm-hmm. you can reach out to and you know, for particular matters or questions that uh, you may have and that they're, that they're willing to help. It's kind of like a, you know, a small community, if you will. Absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously the networking benefit, like you said, it, it requires time. There's not an immediate benefit, we'll say, uh, that, that comes from, from those networking opportunities. But would you say going out, speaking to people, obviously you become more comfortable over time. Um, how would you say that's contributed to uh, your ability to be a leader? Because I think a lot of people are, are extremely interested in you know, being a leader in a committee or you know, they want to take some ownership of something and be able to call it their own. Um, what kind of tips would you have to someone who 
may be interested in something something like that or how, how can they better their leadership skills? Get involved somehow, some way. Uh, I know that Garrett now is uh, like he's in charge of the Next Gen Committee, which is a committee mm-hmm. in the New York State Society of CPAs, and that's where probably the first committee that I joined myself. And I joined the committee not knowing where it was going to take me, and I just wanted to be part of it. And then as I was on the committee, I think I went to like four or five meetings before I volunteered for anything because I just wanted to learn the ropes, learn the people, figure out how things work. But after four or five meetings and seeing all these events and ideas pop out, then I felt comfortable saying, hey, I'll volunteer to help out with that event. And then a little while later, I felt comfortable, hey, I volunteer to spearhead that event. And you know, you've got to start somewhere. So don't think that you have to start in a leadership role. Just join a committee, kind of sit in the background for a while until you feel comfortable taking those next steps by you know, eventually taking on a leadership role. And then once you start putting yourself out there and, and volunteering yourself and your time, then it's just a matter of time until people start asking you. So that actually now I'm a chair of the education committee, and that was because somebody asked me. And they, they obviously knew that I was okay with volunteering for committees and giving up my time. So they, they were, I was approachable in that sense. And that kind of put myself in a, in a leadership role probably before I would have put myself there. But it, I would have gotten there eventually. But you don't have to start right away in a leadership role, especially if that's uh, overwhelming or a little scary to think about. Just get involved in something until you feel comfortable, and that will definitely help. Yeah, it brings up a really interesting topic to me because um, I think even as I was asking that, I was kind of thinking, you know, or kind of at least desiring some form of instant gratification from from doing these sorts of things. And I think that you see that a lot in the younger generation with, with the technology we have. Everything's at our fingertips. We're used to instant gratification. And uh, I think a lot of things that are great in, in careers, they come with time. And you just have to be willing to put in that time, show some patience, and eventually things will start to pay off down the road. You can't, you can't just go out there and immediately you know, start making a ton of money or be a leader. You, right. you have to take take the time to sit back and kind of let it come to you and do all the right things in the process. Right. I completely agree. Yeah. So uh, let's step into a time machine for a minute here. We'll go forward, and you. Ta- I want to talk about uh, kind of what you mentioned earlier. You said, you know, years down the road, you you want to move out of the house, get your own office, and grow your CPA firm from there. And I'm kind of curious, just thinking now, um, what are some things that you want to do with your CPA firm that are going to separate it from other CPA firms in the area? Because obviously everyone can do a tax return, um, but mm-hmm. what do you think is going to separate your firm from from those other firms? Um, you know, why why do the why will clients be happier with your service, so mm-hmm. on and so forth? I really really try to almost over-communicate with my clients. So I prefer that my clients know why I'm doing what I do, and I feel like that's a little different than most of the CPA firms I work for. And I get it, because CPA firms have so much more overhead, so they can't necessarily take the time out to explain every little opportunity and tax credit and tax deduction to their clients, because they would just never make money. So like I said, I'm fortunate that I have a couple different sources of income, and I, I really try to explain 
everything to my clients so they know what they're signing when I go through a tax return. I sit down with them and I go through line by line. I'm like, here's why your tax is what it is so they know. And I feel like that really helps them become better taxpayers and it's just it helps everyone. And I know that I'm not making as much money as I probably could, but I think that's more important to me to have clients that are super loyal and my clients are and they really understand what I'm adding, why I'm adding value and, and I'm explaining to them. And that kind of relates to me being a teacher as well. So I can kind of see the exact same you know, uh, lectures that I would give my students I'm kind of yeah. translating into, into my clients. So that's kind of what I see as, as a, a, an accounting firm that is very educational. And even now with my small practice, I'm putting out some summer seminars to kind of give small business owners an opportunity to learn more because I don't have time to give them all the information that I would love to give them. So I have about like four hours of, of basically lectures and, and material that I'm going to offer out to my clients over the summer so they can come and, and get it all at once in like a group format because I can't possibly sit down and talk to every client for four hours. So I've already kind of tied in an educational piece to my firm, and I see that expanding someday when I have the, the extra time to, to grow it. Yeah, that's really interesting and something that I don't think you know, it's along the same premise of, of other young owners that I've, I've heard, but uh, that educational aspect I think is extremely interesting. And uh, I think it's going to make life easier on yourself and your clients, and your clients will be extremely grateful for, uh, you know, that extra help that you are providing them. But one of the commonalities I've, I've noticed when speaking to young uh, CPA firm owners is they're all about the, the advisory or the additional kind of service aspect. Because anyone mm, can, sure. can do the work, but I feel like the mentality of a lot of young or newly started firms is you know, the, the type of service that they want to provide to their clients and that added benefit that they can provide. Mm -hmm. I think that's really where the industry is going. Do you, do you agree? I do. And uh, unfortunately, my, my clients come from like the, a big box store, like an HR Block or a Liberty Tax or something. So it's, it's nice that mm -hmm. there's you know, practitioners out there who are, are trying to do something a little more and offer a little different service. And I think that's important because it's easy for me to see the value, but sometimes the, the clients don't see it right away. So offering something else above and beyond is, I think, a, a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. So I just have uh, you know, one final question before we wrap things up. I always like to kind of end on this question. It's a, it's a little difficult. You might have to, uh, to really kind of rack your brain for it. But I always like to ask people, what's, what do you think is the best advice you've ever been given over the course of your career? Advice. I think I've given a lot of good advice. I have so many mentors, and mm -hmm. I've I've reached out to to many people, and I, you know, I don't know if they would consider themselves a mentor, but I definitely consider them a mentor. So the best mm -hmm. advice that, that they have given me, I can think of, it's probably not the best advice, but it's very good advice that my mom gave to me growing up all the time. She always said, "If you want to get something done, give it to a busy person." And I didn't get it because I was like, if you want to get something done, don't give it to a busy person. Give it to somebody who, who has lots of time. But now I get it because when tax season ends, and it's April, usually like the 19th by the time tax season ends, it's April 19th and I have nothing on my plate, I don't do anything. 
But when I have a million things on my plate, I can get it all done and then some. Like it just mentally structures my day where I prioritize things and I'm motivated and it gets me out of bed because I have so many things on my plate. So um, it might not be the, the best advice, but I think it's, it's definitely up there and very good advice. And I, I definitely understand the, the, now that I've lived it and I am that person where it's, when I am busy and I keep myself busy, I get so much done. And when I clear my schedule, I get nothing done. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yes. It, it actually makes a ton of sense. Because I've been told before if you give someone eight hours of work and six hours to do it, they'll get it all done in six hours. But mm-hmm. if you give them eight hours of work and ten hours to do it, it'll take them eight hours to get it done. Or, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, you know, no, it's, you're it's just, The biggest motivator is a deadline. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. Absolutely. Well, you, Michelle, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I enjoyed all the things you talked about. Thank you.